What is going on and welcome to the Power of Progression podcast. I'm your host, John Marone. Thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. And please do not forget to like, subscribe, follow the podcast, write a review, and then share it out to anybody who can take the value from today's episode and put it into their life. But now it is time to help you design the life you've always wanted to live, creating the ultimate version of yourself, and jump into the episode. So let's get it popping. Welcome back to another episode of Power of Progression. I cannot wait for you guys to hear my next guest. So make sure you get those pens and paper ready because I have a 10-year retired NFL veteran, seven-year retired NFL analyst, Heath Evans. Now listen to this, guys. In eighth grade, he was told that he was too slow to play running back for his JV team coming up for his ninth year or ninth grade year. Now fast forward five months, he was the actual starting running back for the varsity team as a freshman. Now, sophomore year at Auburn, once again, he was told that he wasn't good enough to play running back at that level. And they actually moved him to defensive line. Let's fast forward 15 months from then, and that's where you see him getting drafted as the first fullback in the 2001 NFL draft. His fifth year in the NFL, he was cut from the Dolphins, where he was told that he didn't have what it takes to play fullback in the NFL. The Patriots then signed him a week later, fresh off their third Super Bowl in four years. I'm a Cowboys fan, sorry. Which then launched the best six years of his NFL career. Now, during his seventh year at the NFL Network, he was falsely accused of sexual harassment by a former female employee, and he was actually suspended. And eventually, he was fired eight months later because he refused to sign their silencing agreements. Now, starting over at the age of 40, Dreaming bigger, working harder, and building a brand to encourage men to be built ready in faith and fitness. He is here to make sure you are built ready for any adversity. My man, Heath, what is going on? <laughs> That's a great intro, brother. Maybe, maybe you should have had the, uh, the seven-year NFL analyst career. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I, it, all I got to get is that first year, right? All I got to get is first That's year. That's right, man. That is right. Just get that foot in the door. Man, once again, thank you so much for jumping on today's episode. I'm extremely honored and grateful um, that you've taken some time out of your day and, and super excited for the value that you're going to drop. Um, when, when you and I have talked, what I love about it is it goes so beyond football, right? Yeah. So beyond football. Now we're going to talk about some of that stuff, right? But um, I really want to get into the, the mindset of it all, right? Yeah. The, the mindset of it all, the habits of it all, the rituals. But before we do that, those who don't know who you are, give them a little background of how you grew up, where you grew up, and kind of what got you started to play in the NFL. Yeah, Florida boy through and through. Grew up in Palm Beach County, Florida. Knew young. I, mean, I, I was seven, eight years old when I knew I wanted to play in the NFL. And it was, it was so matter-of-fact, almost to the point where even as an eight-year-old boy, like it, it kind of came across arrogant. And, and listen, I, I can't take credit for it. My parents won't take credit for it. God just kind of like just shifted something in my heart young where I knew what I wanted to be. And so there was always a mindset of pursuit, you know. So we were in football. We were out running in trash bags to stay in shape, sometimes to make weight just so I could even play the game. But <laughs> fast forward, uh, you mentioned the intro, you know, going into my eighth grade year, I was this kind of chubby white boy that was too slow to play running back. And so um, my dad said, hey, go to this guy in the church. He played in the NFL for 10 years, still help you out to get fast. So I went. And then I did everything he told me to do. And then you fast forward a few months, and I was too big and too strong to, to play JV. I literally played a couple games. I was hurting kids. And so they, they made 
other teams made them move me to varsity. And so I was a 14-year-old kid starting on varsity. Um, but but I, I was just the kid that, that always wanted to play. And then I something in me that, that, that wanted to work for it. And my dad taught me to ask questions. My dad made me kind of write my name down on a commitment sheet that I would do whatever he told me to do, workouts, eating, the whole deal. And so um, I was a Florida boy that loved football, had a dream, put a plan into action, how to chase that dream. And, and but by the grace of God, you know, you start building on something when you're 13. And then when you're 22 years old, you get to realize those dreams of being drafted in the NFL. That's incredible. And, and you just said that 13 to 22, and, and you finally got to realize that, that dream. You know, a lot of people listening to this right now, um, you know, they, they own businesses or they want to start a business. Maybe they're in sales, uh, but they want that instant gratification. And we talked about it offline. And before we get into you know, your NFL career and everything, you have really had to understand that instant gratification creates long-term regret because you had to do that young, right? I mean, I mean, you probably yeah. got pulled in many different directions to go party here, go party there, or do this, which want to make you make weight. Like, how did you overcome the feeling of instant gratification to understand, fall in love with the process, and commit? Well, I had great parents, and, and I had honest parents, and I had parents that made a lot of brutal mistakes and had a lot of nasty consequences of life that they had stepped in. And, and so they were always coming back to me and my sister with, with like the bare bones truth from like everything from uh, abortion to bad financial decisions to drugs and alcohol to like literally they just laid it on the line with me in the sense of like, hey, Heath, we, we love you. And, and we have made so many disastrous mistakes if, if you please just learn from, from our mistakes. And my dad always kind of came at me like a realist of like, hey, just hold back. Watch your boys. And then watch your boys start drinking. Watch your boys start dating girls that they shouldn't be dating. Watch your boys step into the, some of the stuff that we all have desires for. And then see what consequences roll out of those. And then if, if you want those consequences, then, then go do those things. Because he knew that like there's no special human being. Like, if you're making stupid decisions, the consequences are going to catch up and break your back. It's we, – we, there is no one that gets excused. Now, there are we, – we've seen there's different levels of consequences. There's guys that, that literally get away with murder. And then there's other guys that get that falsely accused of murder. So, like, there's, there's different patterns and, and different ways of life for people. But ultimately, there is consequences built into our decision-making. And so, mom and dad had a very unique way. And when you're a kid, you don't really understand what they're doing – and I don't even think they fully knew what they were doing. They were just kind of trusting the faith process of, you know, for both of them in full transparency, they'd open their Bible and they'd be like, how do we raise this knucklehead kid, Heath, that you gave us, God? He's in everything. He's messing up. He's ADDs, ADHDs, all these different things. Help us, God. And, yeah. and so, but by the grace of God, I think they did a pretty good job. But um, it, it is. I mean, and, and there are some people, I think the instant gratification, like, um, it's never as rewarding. But, but, you know, I, I grew up around a lot of athletes that didn't work very hard. They got drafted higher than me, and they got Super Bowl rings too. And they made, you know, listen, I was on fullback money. They made a lot more money than me, you know. Um, and so, but, but I, do, I do believe, though, that, that because of my process was so much harsher and so much more severe and so much rejection along the way and so much literally just getting kicked in the face and spit in the face even now – a year and a half ago, like my life has been full of setbacks that have created challenges that have created, you know, monstrous moments that, that I know encourage and build up other people. And so that, that's, it's a long winded answer, but, but it is, it's, it's the, it's a mindset that I can't take credit for. They, my parents built it into me. And I also think it's just something that 
you know, God, God makes people different at times, you know, but we can, you know, take what other people have and try to implement those things in our lives. You said two things there, man. I want everybody to listen up. The vulnerability of your parents, I think is one of the biggest things that I, I, I want to focus on real quick because yeah. vulnerability, I'm all about that, right? I'm, I'm all about being vulnerable because it helps me grow, but the biggest things that helps others grow, it helps others allow themselves to be vulnerable, to have the opportunity for growth. So your parents at that time were vulnerable. And I've had the, the pleasure of speaking on stages and people have told me some really, really crazy stories in their life and their kids don't even know. And, yeah. and, and it just, it hurts me because I'm like, you don't understand that they don't think they have a sounding board to come back to because they think you don't understand. Yeah. So now that you've had that with your parents and you have two beautiful daughters, how do you mix that? Like, how, how are you vulnerable with your daughters? Um, is it hard? Because that's a, that's a, I have a two-year-old, right? So yeah. she's my most amazing thing happened in my life next to my wife. And she, she really, really um, has no idea the stuff that we've been through. And it's like, okay, how do we articulate it? My wife's like, don't glorify it, John. Don't glorify it. <laughs> right. you know, you know, sometimes it was fun in that moment. But how yeah. do you do it, man? Well, it, it's funny. I've had moments forced on me out of my own character flaws, you know? And so I kind of tell a story of, of, of my first marriage, um, you know, where I kind of, in, in all humility, I was kind of husband of the decade. You know, I, I married into a very difficult marriage and I didn't, I didn't know what I was marrying into. And, and honestly, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't her fault. You know, she was a victim as a young child and she had no clue how to be honest because her biggest fear was if, if I get honest, then no one's going to love me. And, and so I walked into a disastrous marriage situation almost from day one. And, and so my, my world got flipped upside down at 22 years old being a rookie in the NFL, but then also having something that, that I'd built up in my whole in my mind and heart for so long that was going to be this rewarding process and this teamwork. And we were going to conquer the world together and have this support staff and, 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 and none of that stuff came true. And, and, you know, through wise counsel around me and just through grit and determination, you know, I, I'm not a quitter. And so listen, I was like, Hey, listen, your, your heartache is my heartache. Your problems are my problems. Your war wounds are my war wounds. Well, and the best way I knew how, I, I took those things on. Um, the lack of vulnerability and the lack of transparency because she wanted me to protect her secrets. And, and I thought at the time protecting her secrets between the two of us was, was a great thing. But really, I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't strong enough to handle the weight of those burdens by myself. Nor did I have the knowledge of how to really help her process through what she needed to be processing through. So you fast forward through a lot of war wounds, a lot of hurt, and a lot of heartache in a 10-year marriage. I blow out my knee in 2009 in the middle of our Super Bowl year with the Saints and was having the best year of my career. And so all these pieces start kind of unraveling in my life, um, pieces that were part of my identity, pieces that gave me joy and gave me fulfillment and gave me purpose and, um, and gave me power, or I thought. Uh, and so after a knee injury, fast forward, you know, about a year and a half, I'd gotten bitter with God about a knee injury, bitter with the game of football, bitter with my ex-wife, and I end up walking out on my marriage, um, not through divorce or anything else, but through infidelity. And, um, and then God kind of gives me a mirror image of who and what I had become, and but by the grace of God, um, through um, a little bit of being exposed as, as a liar and a hypocrite, he took those little bits of exposure and then turned it in my heart where I had to get fully honest with who and what I was. And so when I went to my wife and kind of just shared with her and was able to really confess 
my sins, my transgressions, my failures, my, my character flaws, um, that, that fast-tracked me into a position where because of her heart and her hurt, um, you know, a lot of that stuff that never should have gotten shared with my girls got shared with my girls by my ex-wife just in her moments of hurting. So when my daughters would come to me with, Daddy, did you do this? I, I was faced with those opportunities of like, am I going to be honest? And, and listen, there was people, I had Christian people, counselors, oh, no, you don't talk to you about that. But I had one thing in my head that, that I don't ever want, my, my girls will, they're going to grow up knowing their dad has messed up a lot. But they're going to grow up knowing their dad when he realizes that he's messed up, he's always going to own his mistakes. And, and he will be the first one to put his hand in the air and be like, in front of the world, I've lived a very public platform in a lot of ways. And so even my divorce was, and, and some of the infidelity was, was made public. And so different things, but I was always, my girls are going to always know that I'm never going to lie to them. No matter how shameful I feel or how bad I messed up, they're going to know that when they mess up, they can come to their daddy because he's messed up. And so it was painful and it was hard tiptoeing those lines of, of honesty and then trying to deal with, you know, literally a seven and a four year old heart at the time, you know, and so now, now they're 15 and 12. Um, but those moments of transparency still come. They're just not with my flaws or with my hurt and heartaches. I mean, they, they've seen me battle anxiety and depression for the first time ever because of the NFL stuff. You know, when you get falsely accused, when, when your name is just thrown through the mud and, um, you know, people have no clue the difference between a, a reputation and a rumor. And so the people that knew me, I didn't have one person that dropped off my wayside. Everyone came to my defense, the women at work, um, the men at work, my family, my loved one, my friends, my daughters. Um, but there were still moments of pain and anguish where I, and I, they saw their daddy and I wanted to get out of bed. And most days I would force myself, but, but I just know that that, that transparency, that, that just, here's your dad and I'm not perfect and I'm flawed, but We've got a God that's encouraging me, that's building me up. There's truth we're chasing. And, and I just, I know that I know that I know in the end, that is going to be what moves them forward and their test and their seasons of life where they're in the desert and it doesn't look like there's a way out, but we're going to push through, have faith, walk in obedience to what we know to be obedient to. And we're going to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. I love that. Transparency creates transformation. Right? Yeah. And, and it's not just in ourselves, it's in the others around us. And uh, I applaud you uh, a big time because there's a lot of people that would run from those things and hide from those things and not put themselves back on another public platform to bring those things back up. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, after it's all said and done, you're no longer an NFL network. You didn't have to do what you're doing now, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but you didn't have to do that, but you decided to say, I'm, so much an understanding of who I am today that I could face those things now, whether they hurt or not. And I think a lot of people need to hear that, that when you find out who you truly are, even when you make mistakes, you can face that adversity with truth, honesty, and transparency. Yeah. Well, I mean, shame is a liar, man. And fear is a liar. Um, you know, um, those things can eat a man's soul alive. And shame lies to us all day long about who we are, or who we used to be, or what we're capable of. Fear does the same way. And those lies come, come to us in different ways. And, you know, the way fear would lie to you might be totally different than the way fear will lie to me. You know, and the way shame might attack my heart might be totally, but they're still telling us lies every day. And so my, my worldview, despite all the character flaws and, and all the failures, has always been 
Um, well, since I was about 14 is when I really, when, when my Christian faith became my Christian faith, and I really started to try to walk it out. And obviously, there have been a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys and a lot of growth spurts. Um, but, but that shift to knowing that my life is not about me, my war wounds, uh, Bible talks about we suffer these things so we can comfort other people. Like, I cannot tell you the amount of men that have reached out to me in the last year that obviously weren't on the public platform, but that have been falsely accused or that have been hurt or that have gone through a nasty divorce or have lost their kids or something about my pain connected and I've been able to love on them and be able to encourage them. People need that. And, and I, I can so easily look at the Bible and it's such a where shame, I can, I can spit in the face of shame right away and I can kick fear in the face because all throughout the Bible it is a whole bunch of people worse than me that God's like, oh, but I have a willing participant. I've got someone that will use all his disastrous failures for the benefit of others. And so, okay, ah, I'm the God of the universe. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some magic on that boy's life, and then I'm going to use him to shake the world. And so um, I don't have to look too far to find men that, you know, um, have, have been hurt and broken and made horrible decisions and yet had awesome impact, um, A, for the kingdom of God, but B, on people's lives everywhere. You don't have to believe what I believe. But I, I want to love people. And I knew that if I didn't deal with the shame and the hurt and the brokenness from the divorce, um, as well as the, the betrayal of, of really everyone at the NFL Network, as well as my accuser, my ability to help and love people was going to be cut off. So if I was going to get bitter and angry and not forgive, I'm, I'm done. I can't love my girls. I can't love my, my next wife. I, I can't love people. I can offer you and your audience absolutely nothing if I am bound up in bitterness and anger and fear. And so um, it has been a, and I'm still on it, man. I am, I'm in this season of life is, has been treacherous in one ways because every comfort, every bandaid, every false sense of security from a great job with financial resources to, um, you know, a, a woman to love to just security to, uh, all these different things that they've been stripped away. And so I'm sitting here kind of left with my heart wide open going to like, am I going to shut it in with something else? Or am I going to let these war wounds heal so I can love other people? And so I'm fighting every day to let the truth of God's word heal my heart and then just keep myself in a vulnerable position where um, I don't have all the answers, but people around me know that, that man, I'll sit down and I'll listen. I'll pray for you. I'll, 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 I'll take you out and buy you a donut. You know, I mean, like whatever it is, like I always want to love people, you know? It, you mentioned something earlier, man, about um, questions, right? And, and shame, man. It, shame is, is like limited beliefs too, right? So shame and limited beliefs, they, they really weigh on us and they hold us back from our own greatness. And with the questions that you kept saying, oh, I just knew how to ask questions. When you're younger, right? You knew how to ask questions. Now as, as you know, a grown man, do you utilize question asking to yourself in order to make better decisions? Do you, do you ask questions to get resources or become resourceful to now, yes, let those wounds heal, but maybe help in a situation you need help with? Because I think a lot of people are scared to, and it goes back to vulnerability. They're not asking themselves, let alone anybody else, the right questions or a question at all. And I think that's a big piece that people miss. That's a key ingredient for fulfillment. Yeah, man, I'm always asking questions. I mean, so like, let's just... From the, from the business side of things, man. I was, I was a heck of a ball player for 10 years. I believe I was the best in the business at, at helping the layman at home understand the game of football and in 45 seconds breaking down a play to kind of bring it alive to people. Um, 
I love coaching young kids. I love um, just breathing life into young athletes. Um, but when it comes to business and setting up everything in this social media day and age to formulating the, the right LLC or the right corporation, all tax laws, all this different stuff, man, I didn't have a clue. I'd run my own charity, but I had people that had really kind of come alongside me and helped me with all the business stuff. I was just out there asking for money to help a lot of the kids. Um, so I am, I've been everywhere from Seattle to Houston to Miami. I've been all over this country in the last year um, taking advantage of the resources that I have around me. Um, and some of these guys are owner of Top Golf, a $5 billion corporation. Um, some of these are um, roofers that have, you know, dominant roofing, you know, companies in South Florida. But, it, but I, am, I, am, I am asking for all the information I can possibly get. In the terms of asking the questions to my, myself, I don't know if I ever really, literally 15 minutes ago, I'm upstairs laying in, in bed just trying to process through a YouTube video that I just watched about just some, some heart healing. And, and the video was talking about um, really the way God made us. We have a, a brain, but then we also have like an, an intestinal brain that so much of, of what goes on in our gut fuels this. Um, and so um, how we store anxiety and store um, fear and anguish and shame, like it is, it's actually stored in the like in our almost intestinal lining that 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 gives us doubt, that gives us anxiety, gives us depression up here, and how these feed each other. And so I'm sitting there laying in bed, like kind of walking through this process, like trying to deep dive into some. And do I still have things in the unforgiveness department or the toxic feeling department that I got to walk through? And so now I was praying more. I'm like God, I need you to to show me um, what these are so I can deal with them because we're so good at hiding our wounds. We're so good at deflecting and, and, and just putting band-aids on stuff that we don't even know we have band-aids on that are, it's like band-aids on cancer. And so, but we're, but, but we're really great at exposing everybody else's wounds. Right? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're great at pointing that finger. Yeah, yeah. We're the most judgmental people in the world, you know, and, it, and it's always, it's always the people that are the most judgmental that are calling other people judgmental. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's just, it's just funny how it works, man. Yeah. It's funny. But, but it's, it's funny to the judgmental point though. It's like, there's consequences that are built into our life decisions. And then because we don't deal with shame and guilt, when someone says something to us that is brought to us in truth and love, if we're not in a position to accept the truth, and, and we live in this day and age where people think truth is like transferable, like they can make up their own. Well, no, truth is truth. Like a lie is a lie. You know, we shouldn't deceive people. You know, we, like, we shouldn't gossip. All these things are bad for our own souls, but people want to, create their own morality. And, and that just is an impossibility. And so um, I think unless we're in a position for people to really speak truth into our life, we're always going to feel judged. And when I was in seasons of life where I wasn't walking the way that the scriptures, you know, asked me to walk, I always felt judged by people. But it was me judging myself because I ultimately knew in my soul, I wasn't doing what I needed to be doing. I wasn't being the dad I needed to be. I wasn't being um, the leader I needed to be. I wasn't being the lover of people I needed to be. And so it was internal judgment that I was pointing the finger back at people just because that truth was hitting me in the face and I didn't like it. And so I wasn't in a position to self-reflect at the time. And so therefore I'm like, ah, judgmental, jerk, 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 jerk. I was the jerk, you know? Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, nowadays I think we think about like, it's not like what I think about me. 
This is what people go through. It's not what you think about me. It's what I think that you think about me. And it's just this vicious cycle, right? Versus like, I love who I am, um, my flaws and everything included. Um, and, and just learning from the mistakes that you made and asking the right questions. So the, the video you watched real quick, was it uh, Naveen Jain? Uh, no, it was, um, man, I'm trying, it was, it was, it was a, a husband and wife um, team doctors. Um, okay. And they honestly, the, um, I'm trying to think if she was actually a doctor. It was about a, a 20 minute video. And one of my, um, you know, one of my mentors sent it to me and we were on the phone yesterday for about an hour. He's like, I'm going to send you something. He's like, you might think this is a little weird, but I want you to just, I want you to watch it and I want you to process through it. And then I want you to pray about it. And then let's, let's see what comes from it. You know? And so, um, I, I'm still, I'm going to go back and like watch it again. And uh, I'm so bad with names and stuff, but I, I don't even remember who it was, but, uh, and I, I honestly, I wouldn't recommend it yet just because I, 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 I'm so hesitant. I know I can always point people to the scriptures. Like you could just open up that Bible and like, there's going to be open up Proverbs. There's all kinds of wisdom about relationships, about business, about how to deal with nasty people, about how to forgive people. There's just so much practical wisdom. So I'm always cautious of like when someone gives me something, like I really want to see the benefits of it before I would ever start speaking that to someone else. Because like even in this, in this, like this podcast world that, that we're in right now that you and I are partaking in doing this, there's just so much false information and there's so many people in, in a good um, with a good heart trying to lead people down a, a path of life and joy and peace and yet it's not the truth. And so I'm always very cautious. Um, people, you always, I'm never going to take credit for a lot of stuff I've said because A, I've either stole it from the Bible or I've stolen it from some man or woman in my life that I've seen them walk out that process. And I know the benefit of the truth they're living, you know, not just speaking out of their mouth. Yes, there is, man. It's a very trafficked area, not just podcasts, the coaching realm, everything. Um, and I'm glad that you, you wait to push that out. But uh, Dr. Naveen Jean, just sidetrack and, and side note, um, he actually is a big believer in that, that our true mind is in our gut. Um, and he, he's a self-funded, um, he does a self-funded thing where he basically, you could test out your levels and all this stuff. I'll send it to you. It's mind blowing. I listened to this guy speak twice from stage and uh, mind blowing, but I'll send it to you totally off topic, but yeah, what, incredible. Here's the cool stuff. So like, you know, when you, you get to know the Bible, you know, the, Old Testament was Hebrew, you know, um, the, the New Testament is, is a lot of Greek. Um, but when you look into the original language, like when God is talking about our heart and guarding our heart, that the word in the Hebrew for heart means intestine. It is literally, it's, it's not this heart that's beating the blood. It, that, that word in the, he, the original Hebrew language is like to, to guard our soul. Like this is like where our soul is feeding this. And, wow. and we, we live in this such day and age now where the antidepressants and, and the mental health battles that we fight in and the anxiety and the depression world. And, and we're trying to medicate them in so many ways. And, and I say medicate because some people actually take medication, but some people are trace, chasing fame to medicate depression. Some people are, are chasing a woman. Some people are, are, drugs, alcohol, like whatever it may be, we're trying to self-medicate these things. And I honestly believe what getting to know a lot of these entrepreneurs in this um, mastermind coaching space day and age, I see these men and I get the kind of behind the scenes action of their lives. And I see the hurt and I see the heartbreak and what drives them 
is, is pride to succeed, which even when you succeed in the earthly realm, it never fixes their, their, their heart issues. And, and so it's such a, um, a, it's such a, a, a precious platform to be able to speak into people's lives. I want to guard that with the utmost. And so even on certain days, people are like, how come you're not active consistently on, on social media? Um, I'm like, cause I, I don't have anything to say those days. I'm, I'm battling through war wounds of, of my own self that day where I, I'm not in, I, I am not in a position to, to lead or to coach or to instruct. Now, if they direct message me, I'll, I'll pray with them. I'll encourage them, whatever. But I, I want to make sure the message that I always have is, is transparent. It's real. It's not forced and it's me. And people have connected to me because I'm just, I'm not going to fake the funk and, um, I want people to have lifelong truth that can really, when they lay their head down at night, no matter how disastrous their situation is, they can know that the God of the universe has a plan for them and is offering them peace and comfort uh, and joy that no matter what the financial situation is, no matter what the marriage situation is, no matter how broken or hurting your kids are, whatever it may be, that, that there, is, there is hope and there's peace that, that we can lean on the word of God, that truth, and, and keep driving through. You just said hope. I did a podcast about this maybe a year ago. I actually did a contest about it. I asked everybody, Heath, what is the most powerful word in our vocabulary? What is the most powerful word? Yeah. And I mean, I've got, I got hundreds and nobody guessed it. And it's hope. Yeah. Just hope. Like it's that moment where, when, when you just hope just brings that sense of, I could just make it one more day. Hope yeah. I could just, I could just push through. Right. And, and I, I love that, that you said that. Let, let's rewind, but it's actually probably still happens now. When you were in eighth grade, you're told that you, you know, basically weren't, weren't good enough. When you're, uh, you know, in, in Auburn, they told you the same thing. NFL told you the same thing. You have all these levels. And, and I say with, with new levels come new devils. Right? <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> in all these levels of your life and seasons of your life, you've had somebody tell you you're not good enough. And most of the time, people are listening, have someone has told them that in some shape or form and it stuck with them. And because it stuck with them, they never went to even extend themselves to get to the next level. You've done it multiple times with people literally telling you, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. How did you overcome that? Especially at a young age and today, how do you overcome that limited belief that people just tried to swallow you up with and have you live in this bubble of not good enough for what you want? Yeah. It, it's such a, a loaded question. And the truth is, I don't fully know. I, I'm always going to be very quick to give my mom and dad credit. And then, but, but that, that feels so deadening to some because they're like, Heath, I didn't have a mom and dad. I didn't have a dad that loved on me the way that you did. I didn't have a mom. My, my mom took off. My mom was addicted to drugs. My mom was a meth head. Whatever. And so, but, but the truth is, I got a lot of power and, and resources from a mom and dad. And so if there's a, a mom and dad out there that's, thinking about that's listening to this, it's thinking about tapping out on their marriage. It's got a couple kids, man, maybe, maybe stick it out for your kids. Like, because those kids, they, they need a mom and a dad. The one thing that's under attack more than anything in our world is this family, because like there's power in that unit, whether it's obviously I would never encourage anyone to stay in a dysfunctional, abusive, I'm getting beat, all those different things. And so you gotta, I would always be careful of my word, but but in a family that's just trying to war it out together, that is just trying to get it right, there is such power in that. And kids, 
what I've realized about Ava and Naomi, kids are A-plus students at home. No matter what kind of grades they make at school, there's no BSing your kids in the home. They're all A-plus students. They see, it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth, they see how you're living, you know? And so I saw how my parents were living, and, and I think that gave me hope, and I think that gave me strength. Um, there was also um, a healthy form of pride in me at, eight, at, at eighth grade that, like, I didn't want to be told, like, who, who are you to tell me that I can't? But I also had to realize that at that moment in time, I was chubby and I was slow. And, and they were right to some extent. There's so many people that will just stop at the fact of, like, who are you to tell me this? I'm, I'm better than this. But they'll never self-reflect about the truth that's being delivered to them. Oh, I love that. And so I, I was too slow. I wasn't good enough. But God had blessed me with a foundational athletic core that in a summer's time, I could go run my two miles a day, run my 1040 sprints, do my two agility trees every single day and not miss it no matter what, Monday through Friday. And then literally transform my body over the course of the summer and then go back and do what I did, um, which was play a couple games on JV and then they moved me to varsity because kids were getting hurt. And so the, I, I set a plan but I first asked for help. And before I asked for help, I had to self-reflect on what they were telling me and was it true or not? And it was true. So this domino effect, if you want to look at it backwards, people love to look at the end result, but you got you to gotta backtrack the steps. I first was like, dang, this hurt. I don't want to be an offensive lineman. But what they're saying is true. So how do I get to where I want to go? Let me ask for help. I went to my dad. My dad's like, I don't know. Go ask Ken Stone because he played in the NFL. So there was this process that all got started to put into place all because I was willing to be like, is this true? Most people want to fight against the truth that they're being spoken to or that's being spoken to them. And so they never, they're stuck right where they're at because not because someone's lying to them because they're lying to themselves. They're not willing to say, is this true? You know, I had to go back and be like, man, some of the stuff that I thought I was doing really well in my first marriage, I, I wasn't. At the time, I was doing the best I could. But no, there's truth to this that now I can fix. So, you know, when I, when I get to say I do again, I'm not going to make those same mistakes. And so you got to be willing to, you got to be willing to swallow the truth. You said self-reflection. That is the, the, the ingredient, man. I think that's the ingredient. It, it, they, they either wanted two things. They're like, no, that's not me. Like you said, and they push forward with no real say fixing the issue, but no getting actually better. Or they're like, oh, it is true. And they don't even really self-reflect. And then they just go into this little cocoon of, you know, average life. Right. And being comfortable. So I think that that's the ingredient. You just said there, guys, listen up. Like if anybody's ever told you, you, you're not good enough. Um, you know, you don't have what it takes, whatever it is, sit back, be coachable. Like he said, but also like say, okay, what do I need to fix? Is this true? And if so, what do I need to fix? And then you did what I, I, I love that you said it. I just asked somebody for help, right? I asked myself first, like, if I were to do this, how would I? If I yeah. were to do this, how would I? And it's like, I don't know. So I'm ask somebody that does know. And you just domino effect of asking people. I well, love and that. And ask other people. Like, so for me and, and my relationships, what I've learned to do, especially with my daughters now, you know, um, is mom, my, my sister, um, you know, females that know me well, know my disposition, and then get to see me interact with my daughters. Hey, am, am I doing this well? 
And when I open myself up for that instruction, they, we all have blind spots. And so they see things that I think I'm doing well, but I'm not. And I don't even, like even the way my facial expressions are coming across to your audience right now, they're like, man, he's so intense. But I'm like, I don't even feel intense. Like I just, it's just me, you know, but when I'm talking to a 15 and 12 year old girl, I'm trying to love them, but they're like, dad, you're scaring the crap out of me, you know? Uh, and so those are, those are things where like, if we really, if we really want it to improve, if we really want to be great, like just ask people and make sure they're worthy to speak into your life and people that love you and they're invested in you, but make sure they're people that aren't just going to tiptoe around your feelings. We don't want yes people in our life. I don't have a, I, I can't think of one yes person I have in my life. If I ask people that I am invested in, they're going to tell me that the God honest truth about how ugly I'm being or how great I'm being. And, and I think those are important. I do want to add one thing. You know, I talked about the, the kind of um, JV experience of being told I wasn't good enough. Well, mm-hmm. I, my situation in Auburn, I was told I wasn't good enough. Um, but the only thing that changed was time and opportunity. I was good enough. I had already proven I was good enough, but I had a coach or maybe the God of the universe putting me through a test and a trial and a season of life to, to, to build something in me that, that this world needs, you know? Um, and so my sophomore year, my freshman year at Auburn, I was all everything. And my coach gets fired, a new coach comes in, and all of a sudden I'm not good enough. I'm like, don't you remember I kind of single-handedly beat your team last year when you were coaching this other SEC team? Do you not remember that? Um, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, but um, – but the truth was, eight weeks goes by, and I'm a, on a bus ride to Arkansas. You know, uh, we had flown into Lafayette or somewhere, and we're on this short little bus ride. But man, I'm literally in tears on this bus ride because I am—I've put my whole life. I'm only 19, uh, 19 or 20 years old at the time, but I had invested so much into my football career, and I had coaches, or again, maybe just God's plan, holding me back for a season. And I was so frustrated. I'm like, God, I just quit. If you don't want this football for me, I, I, don't, I don't want it either. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Literally in tears with my boys all around me because I was just so heartbroken and frustrated about sitting the bench. And I was 240 pounds, moved to defensive tackle. Those, you're, you're 300 pounds when you play that position. Nothing made sense. And I would tell people, when your world, when nothing makes sense, God's up to something. So surrender to his plan and just be as obedient as you know to be getting that Bible and then stuff will start coming together. But time and opportunity was all that was needed there. I, I was able to faith it out, to walk it out. And then when I got my opportunity, I exploded. And then the rest was history. And then I was the first fullback drafted about 15 months later. Um, so there's different seasons of life when people tell us we're not good enough. Sometimes it's true. And we need to digest that truth and be like, okay, I got to change. But then other time we got to know, no, 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 God's made me who I am. I know who and what I am. I know the work I've put in and I know what they're saying, but I'm going to stand the test of time. And I'm going to ask other people, am I missing this? And then if those people come back and they're like, no, 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 Heath, you're on track, stay on track, trust the track and then bulldoze walls, you know, and and that's, that's what we did, you know? I love it. You definitely bulldoze walls right into the NFL and and let's (laughs) chat about the NFL, man. I mean, like, you know, obviously you see what you see from TV, but what are some of the, like your greatest memories from the NFL or some things that maybe weren't so public that you just have great stories about? I love hearing stories that aren't as public um, and, and you know, getting my audience a little sneak peek. Well, um, 2007, it was actually February of 2008. My Patriots team um, 
had just fallen to 18 and one. The Giants had just beat us in the Super Bowl. And everyone from the great Tom Brady to the Teddy Brewskis to the Bill Belichicks and me, you know, middle of the roster to the punter, heads low, walking into that locker room. And um, for the first time in the NFL corporate setting, I got to see the most powerful form of leadership ever. I got to see Bill Belichick with all of our heartbreak, all of our despair. I mean, listen, when you get to 18 and 0 and you're on the verge of doing something that no one's ever done in a day and day of NFL parody that no one ever thought it could be done. And you're like right there and you can taste it and you know, you're the better team, but that day the better team beat you and you just want 99 more times to play that game again. Cause you know, and everyone else pretty much knows if you play it again, it's going to come out different. Um, but that's not the world of the NFL. And, and Bill comes in, not in tears, but broken, and apologizes to all of us. Our offensive game plan kind of got tossed out the window pretty early in that game. And he came in there and took full ownership of what went down and literally told us that he had failed us and that he took full ownership and full responsibility of that loss. And you just saw the weight on him because – it wasn't words. It was a heartfelt, broken emotion of like, I didn't perform at my best today. And now these 53 other men in this coaching staff and this ownership and the wives and the kids, everyone that was that, that could be affected by the legacy of 19 and 0, you saw it in his face. He truly believed he let his team down. The humility, the ownership of mistakes, even though, listen, Football's a crapshoot. Like, we're, we're, we're looking at the cross over there and like, all right, I think they're probably going to call this defense, so we're going to call this offensive play. And, oh, we see them do this, so we're going to try to adjust. But it is a game of educated guesstimates is what it is. Yep. And so there's no, there was no fault in Bill. He did the best he could in that moment. But his ownership of holding himself to a standard that's higher than anyone else and then literally trying to take the pain of the team away from us and carry it himself was, was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. And I've, I've heard other coaches be like, oh, this is on me. But they literally said it like that. Oh, this is on me. Just put it on me. There was no – there was no – it was words. It was like, oh, this is a good message, and I'm just going to – so this will get a good Sports Center clip. I'll say it. What I should do. Yeah. Yeah. But Bill, in that moment, like I just remember, other, other than, than my dad, like – never having more respect for a man in that moment. And, and then, you know, he had already earned my trust years before that. Just the greatest coach, one of the greatest men. Um, but just what that did in my mind that day, it cemented him in my mind um, far different than, than really anyone else I've ever come in contact with. Um, so that wasn't really a, a highlight. It was a low light in the sense of a loss, but a highlight in the sense of a man being a man. Um, in, in what leadership really looks like. Yeah, I was going to say that, man. What a leader. What a leader. And, and I've also heard stories that, like, whether you're, you're, like you said, Tom Brady or you're the punter, he treats you the same exact way. Um, and, and there's, you know, he'll, he'll make fun of you the same way. This is just what I hear. Um, yeah, is that true? I mean, it's it, all it, true. I love that. Yeah. What, no, one, no one's bigger than the team. Yeah. And, and you see it every year when it comes to contract negotiation time because – there's a guy that feels like he's worth an extra $1.6 million and Bill's like, 
what's best for the team. If I give this guy this extra 1.6, that means I can't pay the special teams guy what he deserves to get paid. And that special teams guy might be the guy that wins us the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter with a tackle inside the 20 that causes a fumble and changes the game. And so he's always about balancing this roster that no, no one – he's not more important than the last man on the roster, that practice squad player. It is everyone – what are we willing to sacrifice? Are we all willing to submit to one authority, which is Bill? Um, but knowing that he's never going to abuse our submission to him, that he is going to outwork all of us. And so this perfect placement of my dad taught me when I was young, you know, anything with two heads is a freak. We always need to have a leader, mm-hmm. but that leader always needs to be outworking, outserving, outperforming everyone under him or her because that's what truly true leadership is servant hearted mindset. Yeah. I've got the position of power, but I'm not going to will my power over you. I'm going to come up underneath you and I'm going to build you up. I'm going to speak life into you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the words of wisdom. I'm going to give you the game plan. I'm going to give you everything. And then if you're willing to submit to what I'm giving you, then we can coexist in this way where we all thrive. The team gets more glory. Everyone individually gets more glory but if that one person, if, if there's that one chink in the armor, feels like you're gone because he knows that one cancer, if he lets that one person that's a cancer stick around, maybe that's $20 million he has to cut away with. But he knows if he lets that $20 million cancer stay, it's going to cost $150 million of cancer by what that one bad attitude, that one lack of submission will do to the rest of the team. And so he's cutthroat, but he's cutthroat from a position of trust and leadership because he's outworking everybody. Anybody that's a business owner needs to listen today. He talks about having a cancer. You know, you know when there's a cancer in your office. You know when there's a cancer in your business. The thing comes down to you are not okay with having that conversation because it may be your best quote unquote guy or girl. It may be the most productive person. It might be your kid. Yeah. It, 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 cancer is a cancer. We got to cut it out. Um, and I, I love that you dropped that part of it because it goes back into just business itself, right? And in general. What's, what's one of the funny things that, like, if you were to think of one of the funniest times throughout your NFL career that, like, you could just sit back no matter if you're having a bad day, you think of the situation, and you just laugh your ass off? <laughs> well, God, God rest his soul. Um, but Junior Seau, I, I had the privilege to be a teammate with briefly in Miami before they cut me and then again in New England. Um, and, you know, Junior from USC all the way on was Junior freaking Seau. Like, he was the man. He was untouchable. He was the kind of the best on the field. Like he was that dude, you know? And so, um, and even, you know, in Miami, like nobody was coaching him. Like he, like he could just do what he wanted to do. And, and, and the, with most great, great defensive players, you get nine great plays and you get one boneheaded play. And, and so that boneheaded play is, is it's, it's costly, but you kind of tolerate it because there's nine spectacular plays. Well, Junior was always known for, kind of getting up at the line of scrimmage and like trying to, to draw the, the center offline or make him snap the ball earlier, mess up the quarterback. And he was just barking and talking all this nonsense. Well, you know, once a game, sometimes twice a game, he'd jump off sides and cost the defense five yards. Well, everywhere else, that was acceptable because that's 55. That's junior sale. Well, not with Bill Belichick. <laughs> so like, it was like the first week Junior got there, and he hadn't done anything in a game yet. It was just all in practice where he would jump off sides doing what he was trying to do. Well, Bill gets him in a team meeting, and 
just starts ripping into him. You're not you're not worth the five yard penalty. Blah 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 blah. Like this all the stuff. Now, Junior called everyone buddy. Like so, if you're there at the five o'clock in the morning working out, buddy, buddy, buddy. Like like everyone's buddy. All right. And so, Junior, you got to you got to picture our, our team meeting rooms and all like the Hall of Famers and the greats in there, and they've all been chewed out. You know what I mean? So all these, you know, Tom Brady first ballot Hall of Famers to the the Teddy Brewskis and the Mike Brables and the Rodney Harrisons and these lists go, the Ty Laws, these lists goes on and on and on and on. So they're just waiting because they know that Junior's never been yelled at. And so he stands up and Bill's just getting into him. And he stands up in the back of the room and he's like, buddy, <laughs> like <laughs> Bill, because he couldn't believe he was being chewed out and, and like mother F like everybody else. And so um, it was just, and our, our team room erupted because we'd all been there. And, yeah. like, I would, I, listen, I was the, the middleman on that 53-man roster. But you had the greats that, like, you know, if Brady threw an interception, you know, Bill's coming in there. <laughs> Brady, what, what is this? Christmas? You're giving away gifts early. Young, I mean, just, just, you know, you're too, you're too, focused, on, you're too focused on your next GQ magazine shoot. Well, get your head out of your rear end. You know, like, just, just giving it to him, you know. Um, and so – Junior had never been challenged or yelled at like that a day in his life. And, and to see him stand up in the back of the room, arms like, buddy. <laughs> we died. The whole room was laughing. And, and Bill's up there with just like straight killer face, like no smirk, no nothing, you know. Uh, I could see yeah. it. Man. That's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Uh, so you, you want a Super Bowl with the Saints, right? Real quick, because we're running out of time here. What was it like to win a Super Bowl? And, and the reason when I say Super Bowl, anybody listening is think about like that big goal that you have. Think yeah. about that big like mountaintop. For an NFL player, for 99% of them, the mountaintop is a Super Bowl, right? The yeah. Hall of Fame, whatever it might be. But Super Bowl is definitely while they're playing. The mountaintop, you got there. I'd love to know what it was like, pros, cons. Like this is yeah. – this is, I really want to know. Well, and this is where I get real. And it's always hard because – so in the middle of that year, um, you know, it was week seven. We're down in Miami. We are the number one rush offense in football. We're the number one pass offense in football. Um, fullbacks don't score touchdowns. I had three touchdowns. We were like, I, I was, I was thriving. So everything that I had learned from the Patriots organization, everything I had suffered through for my first four years in Seattle, I got to take to New Orleans and, and be a, a small piece of their leadership. And, and then, our team had just hit a stride, and we were um, we were unstoppable on offense. It was I still think the the best offense that's probably ever been assembled in, in the National Football. You you couldn't. Our O line was dominant. They could pass block. They could run block. We had pass blocking tight ends. We had run blocking tight ends. We had um, pass catching running backs, and we had running backs that could just tote the rock. And we, we had it all. Wide receivers that could blaze. Wide receivers that could juke you and be athletic. We had it all. Um, but I blow my knee out. You know, I, I blow my knee out. The next week I get voted, you know, midseason All-Pro. Um, and then I, I watch my team go on to win the Super Bowl without me. And so there's a champion in me that was just so excited um, for my boys. The city of New Orleans that, you know, was three years post-Katrina, you know, three and a half years post-Katrina. Um, a, a family unity of the city of New Orleans that is just something so special. You can't. You can't put your finger on it until you taste it yourself. The fan base, 
um, the love, the passion they have for the Saints is it's it's uncanny. It's the closest thing you'll get to SEC football in the NFL. It's 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 awesome. But the punk in me was was sad and, and was like a little bitter um, because champions don't want to take credit for anything they didn't have have a part of. And I had a part of building the foundation of that championship team, but I wasn't a part of the championship team the day they hoisted the championship, you know, or the, or the Lombardi. And so it was such a, a, an inner struggle. And, and that, not the, not the victory, but the process did lead to some bitterness in me. You know, it was just one extra thing. The marriage was so hard. The knee injury was so painful and so brutal. And I was just, I was thriving. Like I was in year nine and everything that you dream of, like started to come together. And then it, it, it gets shortchanged. And so um, there was such joy and such an awesome team that I got to be a part of. But the, the champion athlete in me has never really taken ownership for any part of that, that Lombardi. Um, was I there through training camp? Yes. Was I there through the first seven weeks? Yes. Was I absolutely dominating at my position? Yes. Uh, was I missed after I left? Yes. Um, and so all those things are somewhat comforting, but at the end of the day, you want to be on the field, blood all over your grass stains, feeling the, the sweat in your mouth, the dirt in your eyes of what it feels like to be a champion in that moment. And I, and I missed that. So it's, it's been hard. Um, but for any saints fans listening or even former teammates that happen to happen across this, like there's nothing that could take away from the joy in my heart that got to watch those guys experience their joy it was just hard to attach to it because I didn't feel like a, I was a part of it, you know? That's deep, man. And that's something that I think going back to you needing to heal, that's something that you need to go back and, and heal somehow. And, and that's yeah. just, just telling you what I hear and I see. Yeah. And that's got to be hard. But the most important thing is remember is, and, and as cliche as it sounds, it's not the destination, it's the journey. But it's not the journey. It's the person you become when you bust through all those obstacles, the more empowering person for this obstacle, right? And then you got to go through another obstacle. And then now that's the unstoppable version of you. So yeah. the obstacles that build up for you to get that Super Bowl championship, that's the most important thing because it's created the person who you are today. That ring means nothing. It's what you did in between that time. It's the person you became. And everybody listening to this, if you get to the mountaintop, realize it's not the mountaintop that matters. It's the blood, the sweat, the, the tears, the person that actually you became to allow you to get to that mountaintop because without those obstacles, you wouldn't even be able to get there, let alone sustain that mountaintop. Yeah. And it's awesome, man, that you're vulnerable about that situation. Well, and, and the truth is there's so many stories out there about the guys that get to the mountaintop and, and they think it's going to be that one thing that satisfies their soul. And when they get there, I mean, Deion Sanders tells a story about his first ring. He thought it was going to bring peace and contentment to his life. The night of the Super Bowl, he's about to drive his Lamborghini off a cliff in, in California because it was so deadening to his soul because he thought it was going to be something. You know, and I always kind of correlate it to us in business. You know, we, we, we want to get the bigger office. And then, and then, we, then we get, you know, uh, the Bentley. And then the Bentley doesn't. So then we got to get the Rolls Royce. And then, and then we, we – oh, maybe the jet. And so we'll get the jet. But then, like, ah, the jet just doesn't – and then, oh, but it's that big old freaking yacht. And then I'm going to get that yacht. And then before you know it, you've got everything this world says that you need to be satisfied. you got the beautiful woman with the rock on her hand, the healthy kids, the beautiful house, 
all the stuff, and yet you're more dead in your soul than the day you started building your empire. And, and I always caution people that there is this, this hole in our hearts that the God of the universe is the only one that can fill. And, and, and our, our, our self-worth, who we are is what God says we are. And we're always, we're going to have people telling us who and what we are all the time. And, it, and in this season of life, it's almost been me telling myself more, well, you've never been a business. You can't be a businessman. You need help to do this. You can't do this. This is this. This isn't your strength. So what about this? And I've had to go back to the word of God. Man, no, what does is, what is God say? He says, I'm more than a conqueror. He says, I'm, like, I'm his kid. That means like I'm an heir to the throne of God. Like I have royalty in my blood. I have things that I can ask for and request that the God of the universe are going to give me. Um, and so those are things that I've, I've had to implement in my own life in this season of life because the lessons from the past haven't helped me too much in this season. I've had to reformulate new answers and, and, and new um, in this, <laughs> the, the progression of life where I'm at, like I'm having to seek new answers and new wise counsel and new wisdom to put into place to make things happen. And, and, and you're, you're doing it at a high level um, as far as you're, you're making it happen, right? You're not sitting back. And that brings me to talk about built ready, man. And, and what you have going on, because when, when I saw you on, on Instagram and, and, you know, Michael Hearn and, and Todd Abrams, who's a friend of mine, I was like, all right, let me, let me dive a little bit deeper. And I took your four week challenge or whatever it was. And I'm on today's uh, the second to last day today. I get to do legs day. First off, Thank you for pushing me. That's what I want to say. It's like, thank you for pushing me. I've been working out alone for the past six months. I moved to Destin and I've been, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I've been going to the gym, doing the same stuff over and over and over again <laughs> and not really caring because it's just like, ah, whatever, but still keeping a decent physique. I go to your four week challenge, which was built ready and I'm doing walking lunges and I'll be real. I, I knew I needed to do it, but I found, I'm like, he's watching me right now. I feel like, so I need to do it. Right. <laughs> I'm doing a foam roller as simple as a foam roller is. I'm like, I do. I'm driving to my you know, the session. I'm like, I don't want to foam roll. I, gotta do it though. I have to do it. So the yep. accountability of just signing up for that and the progress, I'm telling you, it's like, it, it, so the built ready, you could talk about it, but it's, it, I have a, I had knee surgery about four years ago, three years yeah. ago. And I was, I was strong as an ox afterwards. Well, I stopped doing legs, right? Because you know, I'm gonna be honest. I don't like to do legs. It's so, the hardest one. And then all of a sudden I go to do your challenge and I can't even do a leg extension for more than 10 pounds. And I'm like, wow, this is embarrassing when I used to pin it down. And yeah. you know, this on my left leg, four weeks later, just to fast forward and let you know, 30 pounds, one leg, which is a huge accomplishment huge for me. Jump. I'm able to do one leg, uh, leg extensions when four weeks ago, I could only do 10 pounds. Mm. Um, now, prior to that, I could pin it down. So I feel the progression and that's where success comes in and built ready. Um, I want to thank you for putting it out there and challenging me to, to really push past my limits and stop playing average because nobody was looking. I thought nobody really cared. So I yeah. appreciate it, man. But tell everybody what Built Ready is and, and kind of what you have going on. Well, um, hey, thanks for sharing that because it's funny. I, I put out those programs for accountability for me. And you know, I, I freaking week one, I tweaked my pec. I was so mad because I just, I don't get hurt. Like I, I don't deal, like I don't, I've, I've never had to deal with injuries. My knee injury was basically the only major one in my whole 10 year NFL career, you know, 170 NFL games. I never had a soft tissue injury. I'm like, what the heck? And then I'm like, I was so frustrated. So these last few weeks for me kind of been in limited having to be in chill mode and heal mode. 
have, have been super frustrating, but I do the same thing. I put those programs out for accountability when I don't feel like those extra reps of squats, you know, leading the way that I'm supposed to. I know good and well that I've got 1,500 men out there that are depending on me to be a man of character, a man of integrity to get done what I said I was going to get done. So thank yes. you for that. Um, what is Built Ready? Built Ready um, started out as, you know, I just, I, what – no one's born ready for anything of significance. We have to be built through a process. And most of the time that pain, that, that process is painful. And, and, and it's, it's full of ups and downs, but hopefully we're, we're kind of just, we're grad, we're, we're always on a climb, you know, that we never hit neutral and decide to go backwards. Um, but the little bit of business savviness in me, I, I sat back for the last year and I'm kind of like, where, where's the untapped ground? Where's the, the fertile soil that, that really no one's kind of going after. And so um, my life's message has been, I can have the healthiest body in the world, but if my soul is a wreck, this body doesn't really do me any good, you know? And so, um, I am trying to formulate, um, a lot of different things to help people have, um, healthy souls and healthy bodies. And so I have a few things out there, um, but I've been purposely trying to build underground and, and build quietly. I, I don't do anything halfway. I was the, you know, little eight-year-old chubby white boy from Palm Beach, Florida said I was going to the NFL. And so when I go, I go big. Um, so as I said earlier, I've been everywhere from Seattle to Miami to Houston. I've been everywhere asking for help. Um, I feel like I've found some white space um, in this fitness, faith, nutrition area that I'm going to hit after hard. You know, my, my, my way of dieting, uh, I've kind of done them all. Um, for the athlete, for the guy that wants to be healthy as a horse at 65. I think there's a certain way that we need to eat as men. Um, there's a lot of bad information out there about nutrition. Um, and so I am, I am trying to formulate a plan with a bunch of awesome businessmen around me um, where I can kind of eat up this white space to help men um, nurture their hearts so they can have healthy souls, so they can be the men, the father, the husbands, the business leaders, the students, the athletes that we were, that God made us to be. And then help people with their, their fitness goals because that's important. You know, I mean, half the part of our, our healthy gut is going to be healthy eating, you know. But as we talked about earlier, um, if we're not really engaging with getting the toxic crap out of our gut as well, um, no matter how well we eat, that gut is still going to be feeding anxiety, depression, anger, rage, bitterness, and that's what's going to be coming out of our mouths and our minds and, and our eyes and ears and everything else. And so um, – the goal is um, I'm going to give people actionable steps to have a healthy soul and to have a healthy body. And then as those two come further and further and further together, we get more powerful and stronger men and women that are having lasting impact, that are raising awesome kids, that are loving people, that can walk through this earth, turn the other cheek when people want to gossip about them or they want to betray them. Their, their soul doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but they're so healthy that they don't have to return hate for hate and they don't have to return anger for anger, or gossip for gossip. And so um, that's, that's the goal. It's a huge goal, but I am, I'm going after it, man. Yeah, look, you, you, you've had big goals before and you've accomplished it. So it's, it's incredible to sit back and watch this season and watch the rest of your journey um, and, and glad to be a part of it. And where can they go find built ready so they can go ahead and sign up for it, whether it's a four week challenge or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, everything's being fueled through Instagram right now. So Heath Evans 44 on, on Instagram, um, builtready.com is up and running. It is a, a very baseline site. There's some merchandise. 
Uh, when we do some of the four-week challenges or six-week challenges, we put them up on there. Uh, but all the information is consistently on, on my Instagram, um, and that's the easiest place to find it for now until we expand this thing the way that it needs to. Well, guys, go do Built Ready because in four weeks, I promise you will see tremendous, tremendous amount of speed, acceleration. Like, like I said, I mean, I'm, I go to gym every day. I'm in good shape, right? But and my legs look good. But I know the reason I stay away from it is because it hurts. It actually hurts to do the legs. My knee just kills. And it's helped me. And the biggest thing, everybody listening, I, I, it's not just I can now, you know, go ahead and have, you know, 400% now I can do more than my one leg. Um, that's still embarrassing to me that it's, you know, 40 pounds versus pinning it down. But the most impressive thing is I can run around on my daughter and climb with my daughter and I can bend down on my daughter and I can keep up with her craziness because I feel, <laughs> I just feel so much better. So I appreciate it, man. Um, before we wrap things up, this is part of the show where I want you to give three actionable tools. You've given already so many, but three mm -hmm. out of any equity of life, any area that they could implement immediately to start being better today than they were yesterday. So guys, get your pen mm -hmm. and paper ready if you haven't already. What are your top three things to implement in their life? People don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Um, no one sets out like, oh, I got a dream and I got a goal, but I'm never going to hit it. Um, they just don't ever set a plan of how to put it into action. Now, this plan, great leaders will tell you their plan, it might change every week. The goal very rarely changes, but how you get there is constantly needing to be tweaked and adjusted. But if we never write it down, and it's not just enough. And I would say it's not enough to write it in your iPhone notes. I would say it's not enough just to have it written in your head of like what you're going. I would say if you don't have it written out on paper and at least placed in three different strategic areas, you can go in my car right now. I've got two blue sticky notes. They're verses that I focus on because they're things that are challenging to my character weaknesses that I need to stay focused on to keep attacking. Um, but when I set a fitness goal, Man, those dietary plans are going to be strapped to the fridge. I'm going to take a dry erase marker, and it's going to be written on my mirror. So every morning, I'm brushing my teeth, washing my face. I'm looking at those goals. I know what I've got to do. My, my daughters get tired of seeing stuff you know, stuck around the house. But human nature is to quit. Human nature, it's much easier to quit than to succeed. You know, human nature wants the easy way out. Human nature wants to throw in the towel and be like, I'm done. You have to beat down human nature. Setting that plan, writing it out is, is the best way to do it. Um, the second one would be um, ask for help. Um, listen, we're going to get told no. I've had a whole bunch of people in the last year tell me no. I honestly feel like even in the last six weeks, I've been kicked in the face more in what I'm chasing um, through my body failing me on a stupid bench press to business stuff not coming in, an ebook being delayed. Um, whatever it is, like there's all these things that we're building um, that people are going to tell us no when we ask for help. Keep asking for help. And write it down, chew on it. Just because they say it, don't, don't take it as gold. Test it. Even the Bible talks about testing the spirits. Like every, There's a lot of well-intended people that don't have a clue what the heck they're talking about. And so ask yourself, the person that I'm taking this advice from, or the person that I'm going to go ask, what about their life do I respect? What about their life do I want to implement? What about their life says that they're an authority in this position? We got coaches that have never coached before. We've, we've got like life coaches that 
that have not accomplished anything in life. And it boggles my mind that people pay these people money and it, it drives me nuts, but I'll, I'll stay off. I'll stay off the tangent. Me too. Me too. And then, and then my, my third one, um, and this is going to cost you more than anything, but it will reward you more than anything. Be honest. Honest people find a way to thrive. Doesn't mean their life is going to be easy, but being honest with your kids and honestly, people want vulnerability. You got to be honest to be vulnerable. So if you just take vulnerability at its core, um, it's honesty. Um, and so there's men listening to this that are facing things in their marriage right now that they're scared to death to bring to their wife. Um, bring it to your wife. There's people listening that, that have dark, dark secrets. And I, if you can hear my voice, we are as sick as our secrets. If we have, we are not meant, God did not make us to carry shame, abuse, um, anger, fear, all that stuff. Most of those things are tied up in something that we are a secret that we're scared to, to get out there. And I don't care if you're struggling with depression, um, your sexuality, whatever it is, honesty is always going to be your, your ticket to freedom. And so we live in a world that says, cover everything up, cover, 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 pretend, 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 screw that. Pretending is going to send you to an early grave. Um, yeah. Set a plan, ask for help, be honest, no matter what. Wow. That, that amazing, man. That last part I think needs, needs to be on replay in some people's car and some people's earbuds, some people's headphones. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's truly, truly inspiring to hear from you, from your mouth, but also watch you live it. Um, and I, I appreciate it. Those three things right there will change somebody's life. But remember information without implementation, guys, it's, it's useless. It really is, you know, knowledge is information, but we all want to be wise and wisdom is taking action on it. So he, thank you so much, man. I truly appreciate it. Um, and you, your, what's your handle for uh, Instagram? Heath Evans, 44. Heath Evans, 44. Yep. Perfect. Perfect, man. Any last parting words? I mean, we went a little over time, but it was only because you're an amazing <laughs> guest and I love your stories. I'm going to, I'm going to double down on that third point. We're as sick as our secrets. And if, if people can just write that down and just, just trust me, it's not my truth. It's God's truth. And when we can get free from stuff, it might, it, the, the, the truth might usher us into a tough season, but the fruits and the rewards of honesty pay dividends in every area of our life. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, man. Thank you so much. Guys, make sure you go follow Heath. Make sure you guys go to Built Ready. Check it out. Take the challenge. He's got a four-week program, six-week program. There's going to be a lot more coming his way. So creep on him, stalk on him. Make sure you guys support him and his new ventures. And please make sure you guys take this episode and implement. But also, please send this out to somebody you know that can either get a good laugh about the junior sayoff story or really get extreme value from the things we went over today and they need to hear it. Please don't be selfish. Share this thing out. Um, and also let us know what your biggest aha was, right? I'm sure Heath will love to hear from you guys. So Absolutely. shoot him a message, write it into the comments. If you're watching this on YouTube, write into the comments or write a review on uh, iTunes or Spotify. Please just make sure you do those things. Implement, share it out, and let us know what you love most about this. Uh, make sure you guys go follow me at Real John Marone. And if you need anything, 
go ahead, shoot me a DM, shoot Heath a DM. We're here to help you. And he is here to help you be built ready for any adversity. Heath, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it once again. You're a phenomenal human being. And I appreciate you taking some time out today for us. Jay, thanks for having me, brother. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.